pray and we're going to get into the, the dive into the scriptures, but I want to encourage you uh, to, to really look at, at, at joining a uh, connect group for DNA this semester. It's going to be a great time. So let's pray. Father, we just come before you and we thank you, God, that God, we have sing songs of celebration because we have a victorious, joyful king. God, we have come to enjoy you. We have come to feast on you. God, not merely your word, but Lord Jesus, you are your word. So Lord, as I speak this morning, I pray that you would speak through me and that may it just come out and make sense. God, I pray that you would convict and convince and exhort people in whatever it is that you want to say and do. And I pray most of all that each and every one of us would experience your presence and that we encounter you today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, I started uh, kind of a, a thought, and it was called Weakness Turned to Strength. And uh, today, I want to kind of follow up on that idea and kind of build on it even, at this idea of our weakness matched with God's mighty power equals strength. And I know that we would all, if we look at our lives, it's not very hard for us to believe how weak we are, how vulnerable we are, how much we need God, how much I need God. And so... I think that we, we all struggle with our own insecurities and all the things that we're not, and all the things that we lack, and all, there's just so many things that I think that God, God is attracted to our brokenness and God is attracted to our weakness. And so when God looks at us, he is more than aware of all of our flaws and our failures, and we think oh, I'm just disgusting to God and God's just not into me at all. But it's actually the opposite, that God is attracted to our brokenness. He loves to help us in our weakness. But as if that wasn't enough, one of the things that God likes to do is issue commands to us that take weak people and make us even weaker. Because there are times where we have almost too much strength, where we can fall into this trap of believing that it all depends on us. That it is all about what I can pull off and what I can do and how hard I can work and my gift mix and my... And God's saying, you know what? There's too much strength here that I can't even help you right now. Because when you think it all depends on you, it leads to anxiety, it leads to worry, it leads to stress. Jesus said things like, look at the birds. Do you see, you know, the, the birds wearing overalls out farming? Do you see them sowing seed? Do you see them growing things and cultivating the ground? No. He said, those birds just come and do their thing and they just swoop down and they chomp on what they find. And, he's, and it's because my father takes care of them. My father feeds them. And do you see those flowers? Do you see how beautiful they are? Who do you think dresses them and makes them beautiful? Who do you think takes care of the flowers? So if God will take care of flowers and God will take care of birds, how much more does God is he going to take care of you and me? 
It sounds so easy to believe, doesn't it? Until God starts saying things like, hey, that thing in your life, that needs to go. And we say things like, God, that can't go. That situation, I can't let go of that, Lord, because I it just can't, I'm, I'm, too, I'm too weak. This won't work. And God wants to renew our minds today. And I really believe we are in a season where God really is retraining our brains because he wants you and me to be free from anxiety, worry, and fear. And I'll be straight up with you. I'm not coming to you as a guy that has no struggles with those things. In fact, I hate living my sermons. <laughs> I just want you to live them. I don't want to go through this. <laughs> I don't like being anxious. But see, the way I see it, you know, God spoke to me recently. He said, God, what are, you, what are you doing in this season? And God said, Daniel, I want to set you free from anxiety. I want to set you free from fear. So my brain wants is this is how you get rid of anxiety and worry and fear. You take away all my problems, and you make life easy, and that's how you take away anxiety and fear. And God says, no, that's not how it is at all. What I do is I actually throw you into it, where you're terrified and you're afraid, and you're crying out to me. He says, that's how we deliver you from fear. That's how I deliver you from anxiety, by throwing you right into it, because I want your weakness to encounter my strength so you can live in a, a, a faith level where you're not an orphan. You're not an orphan. You are a child who is loved and cared for by God. God is enthralled with you, and he loves you, and that's why he gives you commands that make you weak and terrify you, because he loves you. So, I want to look at a verse of scripture, Hebrews chapter 11. I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but I want to re-look at this verse of scripture. I'm going to look at this verse in the New Living Translation because I love how they phrased it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. This chapter is all about faith, and they call it the Hall of Faith and in the faith chapter because it actually makes these people out to be rock stars when the truth is they were not rock stars. They were just like us, terrified but obedient. So in Hebrews 11 verse 32, the writer says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Right here. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. One of the names it mentions is Gideon, and that's who we're going to look at today. I'm not going to have time to uh, go into all the story, but if you've never read the story of Gideon, you should. It's one of the best stories, I think, in Scripture. Gideon is a man who is much like all of us. Like You read that chapter, and it makes that like Gideon's a rock star. He's a stud. He can handle this. But God shows up to Gideon, and calls him a mighty man. And Gideon's like, you're, you're kidding me. I'm, I'm hiding. 
I'm in fear because the nation of Israel was oppressed by the Midianites. And so there's this people group who have oppressed the Israelites. The Israelites don't even have swords because they're not allowed to have them. So these people come and they pillage their land and they take their, their food and they take their produce and all their hard work. And so these people are in a difficult position. And God comes to one of the weakest clans, to one of the weakest people. And he says, mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. And to make a long story short, he says, you're going to go and you're going to lead an army and you're going to fight against the Midianites and I'm going to be with you. It's going to be awesome. And Gideon has to work through and navigate his own fear and his own unbelief because he's questioning God, but what do you do when an angel shows up and starts telling you things? You actually kind of, he's hesitantly believing. And then we come to chapter 7, which is what we're going to look at here. Judges chapter 7. It's in the Old Testament. It's one of the first books of the Bible. Gideon sounds the alarm, calls the troops to battle, and musters an army of 32,000 men. 32,000 men. That sounds really good until you find out the Midianites had 135,000. 32,000 versus 135,000. All right, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Then Jerubbaal that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to, to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Wait a minute. 32,000 people versus 135,000 people. They're all, I want you to see this. They already are struggling. They already don't have enough. So what does God say when you don't have enough? You have too much. You, you, you might think you did this. You might win this, if I help you win this battle, you're going to take all the credit, and you're going to take all the glory, and you're going to think that you're that good. But you and I both know you're not that good. You and I both know I sought out the weakling to lead an army. So this is what I'm going to have you do, Gideon. We're going to weed out your army. Could you imagine the tear? Like, I was just like living, like living through the eyes of Gideon this week, thinking like, what it must have been like to just have that courage to sound the alarm and to gather 32,000 men while you're intimidated and to stand in front of all of them like, we're going to go to war, men. And then God pulls you aside and you're like, yeah, God, I don't know. We're outnumbered over four to one, but I think if everybody takes down like four guys, we've got a chance. And, Gideon, and the Lord's like, Gideon, you have too much going for you. No, no, I'm not God. No, I don't have too much going for me right now. We need help. And God's like, we're going to weed them out. And Gideon, in fear and trembling, does what God wants him to do. And I think a lot of times the Lord is saying, you need to cut this 
out of your life. You have this in your life. You need to cut off this relationship in your life. And there's all these things. No, God, it makes me strong. And God's, I know. I know that person. I know that job. I know that money. I know that car. I know, but that you need to let it go because you're too strong right now. And so in absolute fear, he obeys. So in verse 3, it says, Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. So 22,000 people were like, Yeah, I'm scared. I'm going home. And Gideon's like, Can I come with you? I'm sure the 10,000 at first were not afraid, but after everybody left, they're like, all right, now I'm nervous. (laughs) In verse 4, it says, but the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Do you ever feel like God just is ruthless sometimes? (laughs) Like, God, I've already obeyed you, and I'm already suffering because of this. And God's like, no, no, we need less is more right now for you. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So we brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink... And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So God says to Gideon, we're going to go do a test, have them all go down to drink water, And if they all get on their knees and they start licking the water like a dog would lick and just, you know, sticking their face in the water, they're off the island. But if they get down and they they cup it in their the water in their in their hand and they bring it to their mouth, he says, That's who you keep. So he's narrowed it down to three hundred people, and God's like, Yeah, that's that sounds about right. Three hundred versus hundred and thirty-five thousand. Just so just so you know, you need God. Just so you know, it says in verse 8, So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So what I want you to see in verse 8 is the word retained. It says that Gideon retained those 300 men. That word retained in the original language, is often used to hold somebody against their will. <laughs> so when it says he retains, like, yeah, it's not like he, he just keep them. It was like, no, you're not going. You're not leaving me. You stay right there. So, so this, this is what God is going for. An obedient, broken man who will do what he says, and out of his weakness, God gives him strength. I'm not going to go into all the story, 
but it's a great story about 300 people go and scare the daylights out of the Midianites because God's grace was upon them and the Midianites started fighting against each other in the dark. And they took down 120,000 Midianites. Only 15,000 escaped and ran away with their tail between their legs. So God gave Gideon grace to do what is impossible to do. God wants us to do, to walk in obedience so that when we're weak like Gideon, when he shows up, it's obvious to everybody that it's his power that did it. And this is why. Because he wants to renew our minds. That is the key ingredient to a lifestyle of empowerment. A lifestyle of empowerment is not a works-based mentality. We in America are so works-based that we believe the only way things get done is if we do it ourselves. If we work harder, if we press through, And I know right now you're thinking to to yourself, yes, I agree with this. This is biblical. This is the word of the Lord. Until you try to flesh it out. Until you find yourself having to do what God's calling you to do or called you to do. Because God has given us certain practices, lifestyle habits that purposefully make are so weak that, if God, that we need God to be God in our lives to pull this off. And so a couple weeks ago, I talked about prayer. And what is prayer? Prayer is naturally making yourself weak. Because if you go and lock away with God for an hour, that means you are losing an hour of productivity by American standards. If you spend an hour with God, or however long you spend with God, you are losing the ability to accomplish stuff and to get the things done in your life that you want to get done. I also talked about fasting. And fasting is making you weak. You, your brain is not so sharp. You, your, your, your body is physically weak. But it's that act of getting low and of humbling and becoming weak that God gives grace to. God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the weak. And so I want to look at two more practices today. And I really pray, I've been praying that you'll accept them. Because I think in our flesh we want to reject them. I know I have. And so I want to turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. This is Jesus having an encounter with some Pharisees. 
Now it happened that he, that's Jesus, went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why did they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, and he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. Verse 27, And he said to them, as Jesus, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So, the pra- one of the practices I want to talk to you about is Sabbathing. Now, most of what we read in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels of Jesus, we see a legalistic mindset with the Pharisees encountering Jesus. And so Jesus, when we see him talking about Sabbathing, he is combating a screwed-up worldview that makes it all about rules and regulations and all this stuff, where Jesus is saying something very simple and very profound, and he says it in verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man. So, here's the thing. The Sabbath, which in their culture was Saturday, is the last day of the week, and it was God's way of saying, take the day off. I'm giving you a break. You can take a day off, and you can know that I'll take care of you, and that you don't need to work yourself to the bone. I'm going to bless you. You're welcome. Now, the religious leaders got it all backwards and made these rules and regulations. And But Jesus is bringing it back to the heart. What if I told you that God is better than you think? And that he so wants to take care of you that you don't have to work as hard as you've been working. About 10 years ago, Rachel and I uh, have been married for about five years. And we had three kids, all babies. Our oldest was three years old. And Rachel and I, at least I was, I think we both were workaholics. We, we did ministry, we did kingdom work, we worked around the house, we, you know, took care of our kids, we were changing diapers. And, and on top of all this, we were people pleasers, both of us. We were, we, 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 we were the child that, like, you know, wanted to obey mom and dads and keep everything good. And so we got into ministry, and we were just trying to keep everybody happy and everybody liking us. So people would invite us, people would ask for help, people would this, people would, and we would just jump through every hoop no matter how exhausted we were, no matter how many babies we had, we just carry them on our hips, and we were just surviving. And it, it was rough around that time, and Rachel had two seizures, both in Walmart. One of them was on a Saturday. And I don't remember exactly when, but I don't, I don't even, what I'm about to tell you, I don't even remember part of this. But Rachel told me this is the truth, so I believe her. But she said that she listened to a a few different sermons from a few different sources 
around this time, and they were talking about Sabbathing, because our bodies are, are a machine, and our machine is designed by God to get a break, to work six and take one off, to work six and take one off. That's the way our bodies were made. It's not a religious rule. It is a practical principle, a life-giving thing. So Rachel says to me, what do you think about Sabbathing? And she begins to tell me about Sabbathing and what these people she's been hearing say. And this is what she says. I don't remember, but it sounds like something I would do. I, I cut her off and I said, I am too busy for that. And I dismissed it, and I didn't even let her finish, and I moved on. I'm getting better. I think I'm getting better. I hope I am. She's training me. She's working with me. And so I blew her off. I do not remember this conversation. But Rachel thought to herself, well, I'm going to let God talk to him, because I'm not going to even try, because he's not listening. So Rachel, you know, put God on, the, on, on my tracks. And I remember in that time... Just an extremely stressful season. One day, Tim looking at me, and he gave me this look. We were in the office, and we were, we were talking, and I was telling him where I was at a little bit. And Tim just looked at me with that pastoral look of concern, like, I'm really worried about you. And he said, do you need to get out of here? Do you need to take the, take the day off? Like, you, you just need to recover? And I said, I'll be fine. I'll just go and lock away with God. I'll connect with God, and I'll be fine. And so I went to pray, and I locked away with God, and I am used to God zapping me out of my funk. Because I had been abusing my body and abusing my mind and going on adrenaline and addicted to adrenaline, and I had this mentality that Jesus never, work, never stops working, so why shouldn't I? I'll be like Jesus. I'm just going to keep going. And I remember praying for about an hour, reading the Bible, all this kind of stuff, and literally not getting the touch from God that I needed. And two hours, and then three hours. And it was almost like trickle charge, like here's a drop, here's a drop. And after, after about three, four, I don't remember how many hours it was, I was in a little, little bit better shape. But I was not in much better shape. Something was wrong in my body and in my soul. And I did not know what was wrong with me until months and months, I kept hearing this nagging, or ha more having a nagging feeling in the back of my brain. Rachel, and Rachel was not talking to me about it. But the Holy Spirit just kept bringing this idea of a Sabbath to my brain. And like I said, I, I didn't, I, I've never viewed the Sabbath like as anything other than an Old Testament concept until this point. And finally, after being convinced by the Holy Spirit, Rachel and I had a conversation, and Rachel's like, well, I, and I said, Rachel, what do you think about Sabbathing? And she's like, I brought it up months ago, and I'm like, you did? <laughs> and so we made a plan that we were going to Sabbath. And so we, we like, try to get all our, I don't know what, how we planned, but we try to get everything dialed in. Because our, our lifestyle was just so busy and so full. I don't know how we even did it, but we just, we just started boxing things out. And, and we just, that day we were like, we're not going to work no matter what happens. We're not going to work. You know, we didn't even wash our dishes when we were done. 
And that wore Rachel out, the, the whole dishes thing. But we, we, we now wash our dishes on the Sabbath just because she just can't handle it. <laughs> but it was like coming, I don't, I'm not, not really done drugs in my life, but I came off the, the Christian drug or whatever you want. I came off adrenaline and I started having withdrawals. And I was literally depressed and almost anxious about not working. It was so bad that I just, all day long, I just kept waiting for the day to be over with. It was pure torture for me. Some of you were get, some of you get me, and other you were like, you're weird. <laughs> Dude, just live it up. I am high octane, I'm sure you've noticed. I remember for weeks, I had to discipline and make myself do nothing. And as I got into a rhythm, it was probably a few months later before I actually started to like it. And I started noticing a difference in me. And like a trickle charge, I started becoming more me again. I started becoming healthier. I started becoming more creative. I started becoming more fun to be around. And as I did it, God began to renew my mind. Because God can accomplish more in six days than we can with seven. But do you believe that? Or are you like me? Well, that's a great idea, but I, I, you don't understand my schedule, Daniel. I'm a tech student, and I have to study on Saturdays, and I have to study on Sundays, because that I, I, need, I need, or maybe, maybe, if you study less, you'll get smarter because there'll be grace. It's really quiet all of a sudden. <laughs> Am I scaring you guys yet? It's faith. Do you believe God? That God wants you to chill. I love Sabbathing. You know what, you know what I did yesterday? I was gearing up to, you know, I'm preaching today. You know what I did? I watched Saturday morning cartoons with my kids. I got up slow and slower because it's like the only day of the week that I don't have to get my butt out the door. I, I, uh, I think Rachel and I, we watched a really good sermon. I had a, we had, we had a latte. Rachel, we have our little espresso. We had our lattes and just coasting with God. Like, what fills your tank? What recharges you? What re-energizes you? What brings you back? And I'm not talking about, I want to be careful, because as, when we talk about these things, sometimes we can get into the mentality of, oh, like, I'm going to go and do a bunch of fun activity. Sometimes our vacations are not restful. Sometimes our vacations or days off are exchanging one form of busyness for another. And by that I mean is if you go and you're not mowing the lawn, that's great, but you might still be using just as much adrenaline and wearing yourself out by doing other things that are physically or emotionally demanding. But when I'm talking to you about a Sabbath thing, I'm not talking about rules, I'm talking about life. 
I'm talking about you delighting in God. Sitting in your backyard while you hear your neighbors mowing the lawn, and you have the tea in your hand or the coffee or whatever you like to drink, and you sit there and you say, thanks, God. I could be like them, but I'm not. Because Jesus wants me to have fun. Jesus wants me to take the day off and come off of my adrenaline. Do you know, last I checked the numbers, that Americans are using less vacation time than we previously did? Why can't we disconnect? Why can't we unplug? And then a lot of us are working from home. And what happens at home? Well, I got to take that email. Oh my, yeah. You know, and then you got cell phones. So anybody can contact you. Your boss can contact you. They can call you in. And you never come off the adrenaline. And a lot of us like it. Adrenaline is an addictive drug. It is. It, it gives you a high. And you know what else gives you a high? This. You go and you pull up something on social media. You pull up something on sports. You pull up something in the political world, especially this time. It, it will get your adrenaline going. Release some dopamine. And we're, we're like a dog that hears the dinner bell and we run to it. I have been trying to be so much better about pulling away from social media and news. I find news intriguing. I find business news intriguing. But I'm like, I've been in the place where I'm like, Daniel, don't do it. And, you, and your brain just, your brain wants that drug. Go get it, go get it. Check your phone, check your iPad, check the, you know. And, and I'm like sitting there like, no, I will not, I will not. And, 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 and as you get out of that habit, your brain starts to not crave it so much. And now you feel free, like, oh, it's kind of nice to just go for a walk outside without my phone. It's like, I thought it was an appendage, but apparently I am still surviving. And you get, you get, you get off of the, these drugs and your, your body starts getting healthier. And I, I would say that, you know, I'll be honest, there's a lot of times where I go through the week and if it's been a stressful week, my stomach can be in knots. And as I go and I just take that day off, it's like recalibrating my body. It's where my body is all of a sudden, like, feels healthier by the end of the day. My mind feels more alert by the end of the day. I'm not so stressed and snippy with my kids or my wife. And, it's, and if you get out of whack in your peace, there's a, a way to come back to it. And that is what God wants for you. That's what God wants for me. I, uh, I, Ray, Rachel and I have, do it now as we do it sundown to sundown. So when the sun goes down on Friday and the sun goes down on Saturday, it ends. And so that's kind of how we've been rolling. But do you know what it's like to be preaching to hundreds of people and you don't really know what you're going to talk about? 
and it's Saturday and you've decided that and, and you're, you're in honoring God, you're not going to work? It's a scary feeling. But what if grace can do more than what I can do? What if, and so when the sun, so there are times where I get a little nervous and I'm like waiting for the sun to go down so I can get to work. I'm not going to lie. And, 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 well, I'll just finish this. If I, if I had to preach every Sunday like Tim, I, I would probably change my Sabbathing day. Because it's not about necessarily a particular day of the week. You know, some, some groups say, it's only on Saturday. And some people say, no, it's on Sunday now. We, we have such a funky culture. It's, it's so, our schedules are all over the map. I, I believe that the Lord wants you to find a day of rest. And I believe that you can figure out what that looks like for you. Oh man, I'm running out of time. I need to go faster. But the Lord wants to take care of you. And if we can just rest, he will bless us. I want to do a couple quick scripture verses. Uh, One of them out of Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 10. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Then he said to, to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, this is the big idea, therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. So I want you to see this little idea that God wants you to be, in a sense, vigilant about taking a break and not cheating and not cutting corners. But at the exact same time, while God wants you to relax and go fishing or whatever fills your tank, he... It is okay to do good on the Sabbath. So that means if somebody contacts you and they're in need, and, I mean, and sometimes things can just wait, but if there's a legit thing that needs to happen on this day, you can help them. It's not like, sorry, I know your arm just got ripped off, but I got to deal with it tomorrow, okay? No, it's okay to help people in emergency or if things are falling apart. But I want to explain something to you. The sheep should not fall in the ditch every weekend. It's a rare occurrence. You need to be a better shepherd if you keep getting your sheep off the curb, okay? So... This is not a consistent lifestyle or it's going to wear you out. If you keep cheating on the Sabbath over a prolonged period of time, it will have prolonged, uh, it will incrementally cause uh, problems. And if you start practicing it, it will slowly cause restoration. It's not an instantaneous thing. So when you cheat or when you don't cheat, it will bring you one way or the other, but it's incrementally. Another verse 
I want to very quickly share is out of Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. The Apostle Paul is talking to the church, and this, uh, this uh, kind of conveys, I think, a little bit of the heart of, of what we're talking about today. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So he says right here, in a nutshell, not to make it about the rules, not to make it about the laws, because that's missing the whole point. The point is that God is going to take care of you. The answer is in Jesus, and he's going to help you as you humble yourself, obey him, and get weak. Now, very briefly, I want to look at one more biblical practice. I know there is really not a ton of time, but we're going we're to do this quickly. Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. That's Jesus talking. That's his warm, fuzzy talk. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. The, the, the last practice I want to talk to you today is the practice of tithing. Now, the practice of tithing is greatly debated by a lot of different circles. I personally believe in tithing. I tithe, and I just, in the core of who I am, I believe it is the will of the Lord. But I have never preached on tithing before today. And if you've been around here, you probably can't remember me ever talking about tithing. And the reason why I never talked about tithing is because, number one, I never want it to be a rule. I never want it to be a law because I believe that it's life-giving. And so there's a lot of wonderful, godly people that do not tithe. And I have no idea who you are. I don't really care to know about the church finances as far as who gives and who doesn't. I'm as clueless as anybody. And I don't ever want people to feel like they're in bondage to legalism. But when I received this message, the Lord convicted me. And he told me that it wasn't fair to you for me not to talk about it. Abundant Life Fellowship is blessed and we have incredibly generous people. People that have been faithful through all kinds of stuff. God has provided for us. God has pr protected us. And I am stunned how in a community that is generally known for poverty, we have never missed a beat. And I attribute that to the grace of God, and I, I do attribute it to the hearts of the people of God. So I am not doing this because I'm going to get a raise out of this. I am not doing this because we are in need. I'm doing this because the Holy Spirit said it is not fair for them not to be taught this. And so I'm going to do this for you. And if you don't agree with me, I don't care because it's not my problem. I really don't care. This is for you. So 
In the, New in the Old Testament, tithing's all over the place. In the New Testament, it doesn't talk much about tithing. That's why there's a lot of conflict about it, because there's really not much. But one of the few, few places that Scripture talks about it in the New Testament is Jesus. And I think Jesus is worth listening to. I think that what Jesus teaches still is applicable to us today. So in verse 23, he's talking to the Pharisees, and he's calling them hypocrites, which means they're fakers. And he's saying, you tithe mint, anise, and cumin. You tithe your herbs in your garden. Tithe is 10%. It is a mathematical thing. It's not just a concept. It's 10%. But he's saying, you have neglected something more important. So this shows you that there are things that are more important than others in our level of obedience to Jesus. And so these are things that are more important than tithing. Justice is more important than tithing. Mercy is more important than tithing. And faith is more important than tithing. So these you ought to have done. What we ought to have done? Tithing. He's saying, you tithe of your plants, of mint, and you should. But you also shouldn't neglect these things because these things are actually even more important than that. So I want to read out of the New Living Translation this verse because I believe uh, it really conveys the idea. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So this is, this is what Jesus has to say. Yeah, you should do it. Why does it even matter? Because... It's a trust issue. It is a trust issue. If you say you trust God, then why is it so hard to make yourself weak? Can God do more with 90% that is blessed than 100% that we have on our own? I know for, for, for many of you maybe, you, maybe you don't tithe, and you would say, Daniel, but you don't understand my budget. It is like, I'm just barely making it. If I tithe, I'll be in the poorhouse. Well, I guess it's almost like you're going to need Jesus then. <laughs> it's almost like you need God. Do you trust him? Because I, this is all concepts until the rubber meets the road. Listen, I... I I tithe. I tithe on my birthday money. I tithe on my income. As I prosper, when people give me money, I tithe. And do you think, well, first of all, I'll say this way. I have never, in essence, lacked. But I have sure been scared a lot. I have had so many times where my obedience in giving has cost me. You know what verse I don't really like in a way? The verse is, think about Jesus who became poor for your sake. I don't like that verse. I don't like that idea because the context that Paul is talking about is think about how Jesus for your sakes became poor. I'm like, I don't want to become poor like Jesus. I don't want to give, give this up. 
That scares me to give where it costs and where I'm in need and where I'm in lack. But I can't tell you how many times in my, I mean, I remember being so stressed out about finances. And this, it's not about the finances. It's about God changing the way we think. That's, it's not about tithing. It's not about Sabbathing. It's not about praying. It's all about the shift in our brain that says, I will trust God to provide. I will trust God to take care of me. I will believe God. And you'll usually go through a process that brings you to fear and trembling. And then the Lord will come through and then you'll survive and take a deep breath. And be, I knew it the whole time. I knew this was God. Of course God comes through. God cares about you. God loves you. And I want to share one final scripture verse out of the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 32. Tithing is not found very much. Sorry, did I say Luke? I meant Acts. The, Luke, Luke was the author of Acts. Acts chapter 4. Sorry about that. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to go. But like I said, tithing is not found very much in the New Testament. But giving, generosity, is all over the place. And I personally believe that tithing is the lowest level of Christianity. I believe that it's, it is... Um, I, I think that it's almost laughable to talk about tithing when you consider what the early church was like. Because in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked I'll read that again. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not for legalism. I'm for life. And when you look at the life of the early church, they did not give just 10%. They gave above and beyond. So when I hear people say things like, well, there's this and there's that, I'm like, okay, well, if you want to get into New Testament, it's about love. It's about life. You don't need to put rules on people who are full of God full of life, full of faith. You just naturally give, and you naturally obey. You guys need to stand up or I'm never going to land this plane. These are practices. It is not the practice all by itself that brings the transformation. But as we practice and we set our hearts and we cultivate the right spirit, not like a Pharisee, but we cultivate our hearts and we're trusting in God with 
tithing. We're trusting God with Sabbathing. We're trusting God with prayer. We're trusting God by fasting. As we become weak, it sets us up for grace. And it doesn't just, God doesn't just come through in the moment. He is positioning you and me how to live like children and not like orphans. How to live with faith and not with worry. God is wanting to bring you to a new realm of faith and empowerment because he wants you to know you didn't do this. So then you have faith that he will be faithful and that he can do it. Let's pray. Lord, we give you the honor and the praise, God, because we're all here by your grace. You have created us. You have formed us. You have fashioned us. And in our weakness, you become strong in us. We thank you that we do not lack because you are our provider. You are our shepherd. You are our healer. And Lord, I pray for every person here to enter into the peace and into the rest of the Lord. Where they've been worried, where they've been stressed, where I've been stressed, God, we cast our anxieties and our burdens onto you. God, bring us to that new place. Bring us to that new place of abiding in you where we are so full of peace that no matter what situation you put us in, we have confidence and that we can sleep at night. God, I pray that everyone here would be able to sleep at night, that you would give grace to their, their jobs and their relationships and their, you know, their academic situation. God, we ask for grace, grace, grace in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen.